with all due respect to the name of this podcast, Entertainment, Politics and Life. We try hard to make this fun for 20 minutes, even though the world is full of strife. One thing to know before we start the show, we offer strong opinions and strong thoughts. If you listen still, please take a pill and chill. We don't want to get sued once again. Entertainment. Entertainment is the alchemy that transforms ordinary moments into extraordinary memories. Entertainment is the alchemy that transforms ordinary moments into all right, all right, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's Andrew to entertain us. So there you are in the quaint little English village of Kemblefort, enjoying the village fate. The village fate is a traditional community celebration, usually hosted on the village green. There you're going to see residents tossing axes, judging cakes, drinking tea, playing cricket. It's also where you'll find teapots laced with cyanide, sponge cake full of nightshade, and the mysterious death of a wealthy family heir who's been impaled by a 19th century fountain pen. Welcome to British television. As you know, I'm a huge fan of British crime, drama, and comedies. The murders are unique, the scenery is stunning, and the culture fascinating. Check out BritBox for $8.99 a month and Acorn TV for $6.99 a month. Trust me, you will be hooked on British television. In addition, I have a literary suggestion to go along with your new British television streaming services. The book is called A Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village. Written by Maureen Johnson and Jay Cooper, this heavily illustrated book checks in at 146 pages, which is pure delight. This is a book where you'll be finished with it by the time you've finished your cup of tea, and then you'll want to lend the book. So be entertained. Get yourself watching British television and buy that book. The annual winter migration of lawmakers to Juneau is complete as part of nature's extraordinary design. In the heart of the capital city, we see life in all its diversity. For the next 90 days, Andrew and Ethan will offer a rare glimpse into the lives of these creatures in a segment we call Politics. Of course, we have to start with the debate of the day, and that's over education funding. Ethan, give me 60 seconds on this. This is the way I'm looking at it. You got three levels. I want to look at it from the street level, from 25,000 feet and from 50,000 feet. All right, here we go. Street level, the bill is garbage. The bill is a Trojan horse. It's packed full of really bad stuff. It's painted with a little scintilla of increased uh, funding for public schools. They want to push it in the gate. Once the gates are closed, they're going to open it and all this bad stuff is going to come pouring out. All right. Now, it's politics. There's going to be a compromise at the end. That's the street level. 25,000 foot level. I am shocked that the two key players in education today, Commissioner Dina Bishop and Governor Mike Dunleavy, these are two people who have the gold plated Cadillac <laughs> defined benefits plans. And to listen to them today, they would think the teachers of this generation want the world. 
I mean, so so you have to consider the fact that the two key voices in education in Alaska today, Governor Mike Dunleavy and Commissioner Dina Bishop, these people have really enjoyed the benefits of one of the best defined benefit uh, plans in the country. Uh, their retirement is going to be based on their three highest year executive salaries. I mean, these people have the gold plated retirement and to listen to them. Talk about the teachers who are coming into the profession today in an environment that is so much more difficult than it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's stunning, right? So I believe there is no credibility from the Dunleavy administration on public education. That's the 25,000-foot level. 50,000-foot level, this is part of Governor Dunleavy's grand plan. Four years ago, he told a group of people that he thought there was 100,000 too many people living in this state. This has been repeated a number of times by a number of conservative lawmakers. They feel there's too many people in this state simply by destroying Every aspect of government, whether you're talking about school funding or uh, plowing roads or getting out food stamps, I believe that this is a concerted effort to shrink the population. There is no way that government, state government in this shape and form should be failing on every, every different level. So you have three different kind of views here. Ground level, the bill is garbage. 25,000 foot level, you've got no credibility in education discussion between Bishop and Dunleavy. In the 50,000 foot level, this is part of the grand plan to remake Alaska. And if you love this state, you should be aware of that. Andrew, let me, got? Let me say it is really great to see your hair underneath that hat because it looks a lot better that way. <laughs> I wish I could borrow it. I'm a little out of control morning hair right now. Here's what I think about this education discussion right now. What I'm hearing out of Juno is that classic fragmented approach as opposed to a strategic plan. I've not heard a, a concerted vision of what the people think education is. I've always hewed to the line that Yates said, the poet Yates, and he said, education's about the lighting of a fire, not the filling of a bucket. And I don't see that kind of vision for, for the education in, in Alaska. Education should do a couple of critical things for students. It should allow them to develop their intellectual curiosity. It should encourage some kind of compassion. That's an essential component for our form of government and our democracy. You need to be able to walk in someone else's shoes. And in order for us to grow, it needs to breed creativity. And the system that we're talking about here doesn't do it. They have constricted and constricted and constricted the teachers, the students, the vision. And as a consequence, we the performance has gone down. The one area where it's gone up in terms of charter schools, they want to take over and screw it up. It makes no sense to me at all. And I think this is one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. What are the consequences of not having a top-rate educational system for Alaska? And to me, it's very, very clear. It, 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 we're going to lose fake control, and it perpetuates our colonialism, and we, we, are, we do not have the opportunity for, for kids in the future that we had in the past. Well, in uh, this past week, I was in the Capitol building. I was in Juneau and other business and stopped by. I visited my representative, Representative Tom McKay, uh, a Sand Lake lawmaker who won by nine votes and is, a and is acting like he won by uh, 9,000 votes. Uh, but here's the, th here's the deal. And this is what I asked Representative McKay. OK, charter schools are the glowing star. Why would you take something that is succeeding wildly and put it into the hands of a governor who was failing at everything from food stamps to road plowing to school funding to public safety. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Ethan, in the governor's own district, 
they're telling people to buy guns because the state troopers won't respond in time. I mean, that's the type of, 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 of government we've had over the last five or six years, right? And so when I looked at my legislator, McKay, and I said, why would you do that? He didn't have an answer. And this is all politics and what's at stake is the future. And, and let me tell you this. Let me tell you this from experience. I volunteer at Sand Lake Elementary School once a week. I am in the school for three or four hours. And I am telling you, what I see is exactly what the educators who are testifying in Juno are saying. Education has changed. The classroom environment has changed. The student population has changed. Behaviors have changed. Today is the hardest time in history to be an educator. And we need to recognize that. Look, my, my in-laws are teachers in the Anchorage School District. And I, I hear about this on a regular basis. My, my, my kids have graduated. Uh, my nieces are still in the system. Um, and, you know, the idea that you're going to do more with less is just bunk. And, and, and sort of, and it's a little bit of an unfair shot, but the legislators and the governor gave themselves, what, a 50 or 60 percent increase because they felt that it was important to encourage better results out of the legislature and out of the executive branch, that same logic applies in, in the educational system. If you want people to do better, you need to give them the resources to do what's necessary. Of course, you need to make sure that there are guardrails so that the that performance standards are, are adhered to. But don't expect better performance with fewer resources and less guidance. Don't expect better performance if there's not a compelling vision driving the direction that they want to go. And that, that's why I think at a local, at a, at a ground level, this is a flawed approach. And at a stratospheric 50,000 foot, it's also problematic. Well, he, here's one thing that I, I think the public really needs to be in tune with. When you and I were in the legislature, the debate over education funding always rested on what we're investing per pupil. Right. Because you can hear the critics 20 years ago. Oh, we spend more per pupil than anywhere in the country. OK, well, ignore the fact that Alaska has the highest cost of living anywhere in the country and we're the most expensive place to do business and educate kids in plow roads. Yeah, just put that on that because people always forget it is in Alaska. The state does a lot of things that are that are handled at the local yeah. level in most places in the lower 48. And so it's the aggregate cost of state plus local that should be should have been analyzed. But as you were about to say before I so you know, appropriately interrupted you. Always love added context. So you'll remember, you know, 25 years ago, the, the annual debate among public school critics was, oh, we spend you know, more per, per pupil. Today, that number's not relevant. Today, we dropped so far, it's not even worth mentioning that number. So they've had to find another number. So now they've come up with this bizarre stat that we spend more as a percentage of, of gross wealth in the state. I mean, this is so asinine. This week, Ethan, we have heard a parade of educators. I mean, these are people who spend their lives. These are principals and school administrators and association directors. These are people who spend their days and weeks and lives trying to make education better in all of them. I don't care whether you're talking about from Petersburg uh, to Kotzebue. Everybody is saying the same thing. Our schools are dying. And when you listen to the response, there is crickets. Now, I want to I want to just point this out because this is what's stunning. My representative, again, Tom McKay, he tries to tell me in my meeting with him on Thursday that the school district has a problem with accountability. OK, now I'm in a 15 minute meeting with this guy. I don't have time to debate every notion. But here's the thing to know about my representative, Tom McKay. 
I watched him on Tuesday sit in a two-hour hearing with the most intelligent and experienced education professionals in this state who laid out chapter and verse what is happening within the public school system and why the results are so poor. Two solid hours. My representative did not ask one single question. But yet when I show up, He's going to tell me that the school district isn't accountable. But yet when the administrators and the executives took that whole portion of accountability during their legislative committee testimony, McKay said nothing. I mean, because you're not dealing with people who are on a rational thought level. You are dealing with people who don't believe public schools have a purpose. They believe they're too liberal. They believe they're too progressive. And they fail to realize that you got 86% of the kids in this school and they have no idea what the hell they are talking about. Well, they, I mean, so- I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm trying, Ethan, I am really going to try to reinvent myself as somebody more positive, but my representative could not pour water out of a bucket if the instructions were on the bottom. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I'm going to try and reinvent myself, but for sitting there for 15 minutes, and, and I do want to apologize. I do want to apologize to, to representative McKay and his staff because I was angry and that was probably not the most respectful, but when I left his office and I'll talk more about this in closing comments, when I left that office, I felt bad. But then when I read the sheet, he handed me to read, I was angry again. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about you know the, the the bigger picture here, right? So you have the education piece. We're starving education, and it's a fight just to get cool, schools basically funded. Then there's another issue that's going on behind the scenes that I think all Alaskans should be concerned about, and that's the risky ba- behavior by the Permanent Fund Corporation. Now, anybody who's interested in this, go to DermotCole.com. Dermot is all over this. Now, let's talking about what happened. Angela Rodell was mysteriously dismissed about a year and a half ago. Okay. Since then, the Permanent Fund Corporation Board has taken an approach that they want to make riskier, uh, more riskier investments to provide a greater return. This is my theory. My theory is that the Permanent Fund Corporation Board, under Governor Dunleavy, who's appointed a majority of them, they want to get to $100 million through risky behavior. Billion. So this state kicks, Billion. Uh, or six, Billion. Uh, sorry, a hundred mil, a hundred billion. Yes. Those we're talking real money here. Matter. <clears throat> I'm just telling you, you gotta yes. watch your the decimal, the, de- the decimal points matter. Okay. My belief, they're trying to be very risky and get the fund to a hundred billion so we can live tax-free in this state. But doing that includes risky investment and you're risking really the one uh, the one revenue stream that's supporting the state of Alaska. I think this whole thing is designed trying to shrink the population, trying to be very risky with the permanent fund. And I think Dermot Cole, as I said, he's been on this since day one. So I, I've got a couple of thoughts about this. You know, I, I've always thought the permanent fund should hew to the the prudent investor rule. I mean, we, we made that transition when we were in the legislature. It changed some of the investment strategies, allowed them to do things that a prudent investor would do. And, and that's a well-known concept in investment circles. Since then, my thinking has evolved somewhat based on experience. I think there's a, there's a social responsibility component that the permanent fund should pay attention to, that there, that there are externalities. I'm going to quote uh, an obscure economist called Pagu. And uh, in Paguvian economics, you have to take into account some of those downstream costs and benefits. And we have not done that. It was dramatically obvious during during uh, COVID when there were supply chain issues for 
for Alaska. We, we couldn't get enough uh, protective equipment. Food was somewhat of an issue. Toilet paper became a massive uh, question. Had we had production facilities in Alaska for these things, we would have been self-sufficient. Our economy would have been in a stronger position. There would have been more multiplier of our money than, than there is currently. And so that kind of thinking should be part of what's going on. Going into derivative tradings and leveraging, that's something separate altogether. Um, so that's one significant point that I want to make about permanent fund investment. The other thing is, let's look at the inputs, right? Right now, the only mandatory input to the permanent fund is that we have to put in 25% of our royalty. That's 25% of one eighth. So that is a minute, that's about 3% of the royalty money that we get every year goes into the permanent fund and has gone into the permanent fund. Contrast that with the Norwegian fund, which, for example, puts all of its money into its fund and has significant growth and significant control. We are, we've got to look at those inputs as well. Yep, agreed. All right. Uh, last issue, uh, there was a front page article written by Alex de Marbon. I love that name. Every time he'd leave me a voicemail, I'd go, mm, Alex de Marbon. <laughs> he has the, the fabulous last name. Anyways, Alex, uh, uh, journalist for the Anchorage Daily News. Front page article, 11 years in a row, the state's stagnant population is stagnant. Uh, bottom line is people are not moving to Alaska. And given all that we've discussed over the last 12 minutes, um, you know, there's no mystery. I mean, look, if you're outside, if you're from the outside looking in, what do you see? You see a state that's struggling. I mean, you see a state that's having problems with public education, having problems with public safety, doesn't have decent housing. I mean, it does get depressing after a while. It, it, 11 straight years, Ethan. And, and there doesn't, as you said, there doesn't seem to be a plan. It's just all, all fragmented. And, and that's really you know, what I worry about in this state is, is just the fragmentation, the, the lack of focus. And as many legislators pointed out when I met with them on Wednesday, we still have another two years of this governor. It, it, Andrew, there was a time where it meant something to live in Alaska, where people were proud of it. There was a uniqueness to it. And what I've seen over the, the last years, over a generation, is that there's more and more of an effort to make us more homogenous to the lower 48, where there's an importation of lower 48 policy, uh, style partisan politics that don't really work for us. We're, we're not like the other states. We're a resource development state, and we should be in control of our own resource development instead of outsourcing it to private corporations and being subservient to those, those corporations and entirely dependent on the federal government and being, being uh, very grumpy about our dependence on the federal government. So I, I, I think that we need leaders who are worthy of our state instead of leaders who are just catering to the lowest common denominator and playing partisan politics with the permanent fund. All right. And, and I'll close on this. When we talk about 11 years, uh, because I think this is a good benchmark, let me just refer. I'll talk about my industry, the car rental industry. Ten years ago, five of the six major car rental companies in this state were owned by Alaskan families. Those were families who had kids in school, had grandkids, went to church, donated to organizations. Five of six, 10 years ago, were owned by Alaska families. Today, one of six is owned by an Alaska family, and that is mine. My competitors have all sold out to outside corporations who no longer invest in this state, 
no longer care about their employees having kids in school. Uh, I mean, they're completely disconnected. These are companies that are being run from Houston, from St. Louis, from New Jersey. And this is what's happening to our state. And, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is why you hear the tension in my voice. I mean, those of us who are on the ground working this and seeing the economic numbers and the economic trends, I tell you, we're scared as hell. And, and uh, you know what happens uh, when it, those, those companies go outside is the profits that are made here are exported. And so that money does not yeah. circulate in the economy. And so our economy doesn't grow and our economy stagnates. And this is what why we need more control over what's going on in Alaska and why it really does mean something special to live here, where everybody can make a difference. But the culpability for not insisting on more from our economic and our political leaders, the culpability rests with the public. And if the public is quiescent, if the public is content with allowing the export of, of our resources uh, and the homogenization of our intellect, then we're going to get what we deserve. And we will leave it there. Good to see you, Ethan. Well, I guess this is the part of the podcast where Andy talks about life. And ladies and gentlemen, you know Andy's philosophy on life. It comes down to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. So let's get busy living with our life segment. In life, volunteering. According to a recent report by the Foraker Group, Alaska ranks fifth in the nation for volunteerism. Over 27% of Alaskans donate their time to a formal organization. We are rock stars when it comes to giving our time. Now, with public schools under significant pressure, a brilliant volunteer opportunity is right in your neighborhood school. Let me tell you how cool volunteering in your neighborhood school can be. Once a week, I roll into San Elementary School. For three or four hours, I help the library, I walk in, throw in my AirPods, check in books, shelve books, do whatever they need. At the end of the day, I've helped the librarian, Tom, who's an incredibly cool dude. I've helped the school. I've helped the students. And I get in 5,000 steps. So I've helped myself. Look, it's a great volunteer gig. Go online to your local school district, fill out a volunteer application, and make your neighborhood school your school. Ciao, amici miei. Ci stiamo avvicinando alla fine del podcast. Quindi godiamoci i restanti momenti che abbiamo insieme con alcuni commenti di chiusura. Loosely translated into English, the end is near. Closing comments are here. In closing comments, the state of education and the state of this podcast. Look, a big debate going on in Juneau right now over education funding and politics as it is. There's going to need to be some compromise. So here's my thoughts. Look, on charter schools, I'm worried that the governor is going to take these over and do what he's done to every other department in state government. It's going to be overwrought with political failure and political ideology. And I'm worried about charter schools. But you know what? It is a muddy process. There is no really clear appeals process. There are some things that need to be hammered out. So I think there's room for a compromise there. Again, you can't expect the school district to be a huge advocate of, of expanding charter schools when they can't even pay the bills in their own existing infrastructure. So I think there needs to be a compromise there. So with charter schools, maybe a couple of years with a sunset clause. The BSA has to be raised, no question about it. And they need a good six or 700 bucks. I don't know if $1,400 is the right amount that those buttons say, but I can guarantee you 
that people like Gary Stevens, president of the Senate, and Senator Tobin are kind of my North Stars on education. And I think that there's a compromise to be made with the BSA. With the teacher bonuses, I have no problem with teacher bonuses personally. My only problem is I do not want people to think that this is going to be the silver bullet. Because we heard this week in Juneau, in a number of committee testimonies, that school districts, especially during COVID, have tried the bonus program, and it didn't really work. So there's going to be a compromise in the education bill. Let's hope they get some decent education money and the legislature can put sufficient sideboards on what Governor Dunleavy wants to ensure that this isn't going to be another department that he breaks. And again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Governor Dunleavy's sixth legislative session as governor. Why have we waited this long for a comprehensive education program? And why is it that every other aspect of state government appears to be failing? I am concerned about that. But I have hope. I was in Juneau last week. There is a lot of great people working on education. Personally, my North Star is Senator Gary Stevens. I love Gary, and I, he's solid on, on public education. So I'm really looking to him to be my North Star. Now, with the state of this podcast, we are glad to be back. This episode has gone a little long. We want to try and keep it around 20 minutes, but we haven't had time to say much in, in the last few months. So it's good to be back. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, one thing, whether you agree with our political opinions or not, there will be a surprise around every corner. Hey, you. Yes, you. Where are you going? Are you going to leave early and disrespect us? Didn't you do the same thing last episode? Come here. Come here, you. I'll teach you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now what my friend is saying is, you, you, you're good. You're listening to our podcast. So let's make everyone happy and you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform because we don't want you to miss an episode. You miss an episode? You'll get whacked. Now that isn't true. Please subscribe and thanks for listening. What are you doing? I can't take you anywhere.